Our scripture readings this morning are from 2 Samuel 7 and from Isaiah 9. So if you want to open your Bibles to those places. Uh, Let me uh, pray first. Father, as we approach your holy scriptures this morning, we pray that you would uh, help us to hear your voice. These are somewhat uh, complex passages at times, uh, stories that we don't often hear in the context they're being told. And we ask that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to hear you, that we would be teachable this morning to your voice. We're asking Jesus' name. Amen. So our first passage is 2 Samuel 7, starting at verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of our God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from the following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they will have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did from the beginning, and have done since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. And then down to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. May God be blessed in the reading of his holy scriptures this morning. We are coming to the time of the year when top 10 lists come out. Anybody like top 10 lists? 
I'm a big top 10 list fan. So right at the end of the year, they often do like the top 10 news stories. I wonder what the top news story of this year will be. He said somewhat ironically, the top music of the year, the top movies of the year, which I don't even know if anybody went to the movies this year. Anyways, doesn't matter. Top sports moments. Again, I don't know if that happened, but, but we'll, we're, they're coming out soon. Top 10 lists, I, I love them. I, I love them, I love ranking, I love debating with people the top 10 lists. Are you like this? Do you, and, and then I'm also making top 10 lists everywhere I go. You know, top 10 churches I like preaching in. You know, that kind of stuff. All kind of stuff. You guys are in the top 10. All right, so I like making top 10 lists. I like thinking about top 10 lists. And so when I think about passages from the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 7 makes my top 10. Now, many of us have a top 10 of, of the passages that make sense to us from the Old Testament. Probably Psalm 23 makes sense for a lot of people in here. Would that be in your top 10? You know, that the Lord is my shepherd, nothing shall I want. Those are, those are good passages. Probably Genesis 1 through 3 makes sense for a lot of people. Uh, Genesis 12, I think, makes sense for a lot of folks. That's the calling of Israel. And then Genesis 15, the recalling of Israel to be the blessing to the nations and that kind of stuff. But 2 Samuel 7 is one of those passages that's often overlooked and not really understood that just kind of takes the story in a new and fresh way and all of the Old Testament is built on this, including into the New Testament where Jesus becomes the, uh, the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. So it's obviously a very important passage for us to look at this morning. So I just want to spend a little bit of time in there, then we'll head to Isaiah, and then we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time in the New Testament. So that's where we're going this morning. And uh, here, we, here we go. Let's go with 2 Samuel 7. So... David has just returned back to the palace. He's in the palace and he's looking around and he feels good. The Ark of the Covenant, the very place where God is, is has been returned to Jerusalem. So there was a, a great victory for the people of God. They were pretty excited. And he's, he's looking out the window of his palace. And his palace is a beautiful palace. It's beautiful. It's, it's cedar wall to wall. Do you like cedar? Oh, that's got a good smell to it, doesn't it? And it, it just it works well, and it's, it's, it's really nice to work with. And oh, it's so beautiful, and it smells amazing. And that's what, what David says. I'm surrounded by cedar. I'm surrounded by beauty. I'm surrounded by the, the, the amazing smells of all of this place. And outside in a little tent is the Ark of the Lord. We should do something about that. We should probably you know, make a temple or something. That's kind of where he's going with his hints. And then Nathan, his prophet, sitting there, and Nathan just says, giddy up, let's go, come on, let's get on this, without seeking God. I hope you noticed that in the passage, that there's this, this Nathan just says, go for it, man, you got this, because God is with you. Whatever you do, God is with you. Nathan was about to be woken up to the fact you shouldn't do that. And I think it's a kind of a pause moment for us in this passage as well to say, okay, how many times do we do that, right? We get this good idea, it just strikes our brain. We run it by one person. What do you think? Yeah, go for it. Sounds like a good idea. We never prayed. We never sought scripture. We never did any of that type of stuff. We just go for it. Okay, this is one of those stop moments and say, maybe that's not the best order of operations. 
So that's what we're about to learn is the order of operations. So Nathan goes to sleep that night and he's disturbed in his sleep because the voice of God comes to him. And he speaks very clearly and says, I want you to speak to my little boy there, David, and give him a clearer message than the one you gave him. This is the God message, not the Nathan message. Oh, okay, so Nathan kind of wakes up to this whole idea of what, what he has to do. What is the essential elements of this message to uh, Nathan from God that he's to speak to David? Well, there is a different shift Right? So David was going to do something for God. That was the whole point of what he said. I'm going to build God a temple. I want to do something for God. And God is like, ah, that's not how it works here, fellas. What really the order is, is, is that, that God is there with us and partnering with us. And so God is, reclaims his position in the story. That's the first half of the, what we read this morning. God reclaims his position in the story. It was me who led you out of Egypt. It was me who put you in Israel. It was me who called you, David, out of being a shepherd. And it was me who made you the shepherd over my people Israel. So it was putting back in place God and us. We tend to screw that one up, don't we? We mess that one up. We put it in a different order, don't we? We tend to kind of say, well, we're on charge in here, and we'll get God to do what we want to do. And we'll even pray like that. Lord, can you just give us some stuff to supplement what we're doing? Right? And God's like, no, it doesn't go like that. It goes like this. That God is in charge, and, and then we respond to that. He leads and we follow. That's the order. So that's what David first needed to hear from God, was that there was a different order of operations, and we've messed that one up. So then he heard that. And then the second thing is that, that God is the one who gives. God is the one who gives. Whatever we can dream of, it's pretty small normally. Think of David's dream. He's like, God is the God of the entire universe, and I'm going to make him a building. Right? That's God's dream, or that's David's dream. I'm going to take the entire God of the entire universe and give him a building. It sounds funny when you say it like that, doesn't it? But that's what David thought. That's his big dream for God. Here, God, I've got a big dream for you. I'm going to put you in a building. And I don't even know if you remember the dedication uh, that Solomon had, actually, when he builds the temple eventually. But in, even in Solomon's dedication, he said, I'm dedicating this for you. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that this is your building, but nothing built by hands. No world, no place could ever contain you. Some of us need to be reminded of that. Some of us need to be reminded that, that God cannot and will not be contained. We tend to like God in a little container. We like walking around with our God and our little containers. I used to do a, an illustration when I spoke at Serve Projects, and it's one of my favorite illustrations of what we tend to do with the God. Do you guys know the size of a tuna? How big? Yeah, they're huge, right? They're like six to 10 to 12 feet long. Right? They're monstrous. They're huge. And they're, they're, they're swimming in the ocean, and, and we catch them. And what is the size of a tuna can? <laughs> right? They're little twerpy things like this. 
This is my favorite illustration of what we tend to do with God, right? This this wild tuna that can just swim around and go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants. We put in a can and we carry around and we stack them up even. We got a lot of tuna, right? We stack it up and we have a couple of them. We tend to do that with our God. We tend to limit our God. We tend to say you are small. We tend to try to control him. We want to control God. And God is like, I'm not about being controlled. And I'm not about just being in one building or another. I'm not about being in one person or another. I'm not about being limited in any way you think you can limit me. I love the idea of just letting God be God. Releasing Him back to be God the way God needs to be. And we try to contain God. And so that this is the lesson that David needs. I don't need a building to contain me. In fact, I'm going to dream a bit bigger than your dream. Let me give you a God-sized dream, David. I am going to take you and your family and make them amazing. And, and David's like, okay, that's awesome. I can't wait to be amazing. But what that means is not just that, that, that David's family would sit on the throne and that would be what it mean, would be the end of it, that there was somehow just a kingship related to that. It was going to be a type of kingship that justice and righteousness would flow from this kingship until there was shalom, peace, on the whole planet. Now that's a bit better dream, isn't it? That's a bit better dream. I'm gonna make you a building. Well, I'm gonna make peace on the entire planet and I'm gonna use your family. Oh, okay, which one's a better dream, right? The God-shaped, sized dream is a much better dream. So that's the one that Nathan presents to David and that's the one that Israel begins to hold on to. That's the dream. That this somehow, that the one, the, the child of David, there's going to be a king in the line of David who will not just build stuff for God, will not just bring about a little bit of victory here and there in the Mideast, but this son of God. That's the name, by the way, that God uses in 2 Samuel 7. He will be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. This son of God will bring justice and righteousness to bear on the whole planet. That is a big, beautiful dream, isn't it? That's the excitement that Israel all of a sudden got from 2 Samuel 7. And now you understand how that passage begins to shape the rest of the Old Testament. Because the rest of the Old Testament is built on this covenant. This one covenant with God and David. That the way that the way that Israel was going to be rescued, the way that the world was going to be rescued was through a son of David, a son of God, the same person. And you have learned through your studies of the Old Testament that the person that we've often translated that into is Messiah, right? Messiah just simply means anointed king, the one who is anointed as the son of David and son of God. Messiah is the anointed king. So they're always waiting for their Messiah, their anointed king to come. When is this anointed king going to come? When are things going to be set right? And they thought for sure it had happened in Isaiah 9. So that in Isaiah 9, we have this grand 
announcement of a child being born. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Prince of Peace. It is inauguration passage, an inauguration of the king's son. The king's son had had the King David, the one in line of David, had had a son and they announced it over this child. This is the child under whom all the world will be set right, under whom everything will be the way it should be. And this child's name is Hezekiah. The child's name for Isaiah 9 is Hezekiah. That's who they were expecting. And then Hezekiah starts to live up to this. He actually, as, as, a, as a leader, uh, uh, one in the line of David, he led, lived up to this. He started doing all of these amazing things. There was, a, there was a, the biggest thing that happened in Hezekiah's life was around 701 before the Common Era. Sennacherib, who was the leader of the Assyrian army, came and did a siege on all of, all of Israel and then brought that siege closer and completely surrounded Jerusalem. So this was not looking good for Jerusalem or for Israel at all. They had sieged that they had brought so many army that they said, this is what we're going to do. They surrounded it completely and then Sennacherib and uh, Hezekiah start having a verbal one-on-one -on -one together of what's going to happen. Sennacherib kept saying, you need to uh, hold, uh, surrender, give up your land, give up your palace, give up everything for us. We are going to take over. We are the army that's going to take over. We've obviously surrounded your entire uh, city. We're going to take the city and you need to surrender. Hezekiah at that one point went to his prophet who was named Isaiah. You can read about this in 2 Kings 18, 13 to 19, 37. It's an amazing story. He goes to Isaiah and Isaiah says to uh, Hezekiah, what you need to do is trust the Lord. Hezekiah looks out his window. He's completely surrounded. He has all of these people, this huge army surrounding the city. And his prophet has just said to him, trust the Lord. And Hezekiah does. Hezekiah turns to Sennacherib and says, you will not take Jerusalem. The Lord is on our side. You do not have the Lord on your side. And there's an exchange of three different exchanges. And finally, the third exchange, Sennacherib says, I'm going to take you tomorrow. That's what we're going to do. And, and Hezekiah says, I am going to trust the Lord in the midst of this. And as Hezekiah trusts the Lord and puts his head on the pillow that evening, the Spirit of God goes through the army, taking out many, many people. Historians try to say that there was some sort of disease, there's some sort of something. Even in Sennacherib's uh, detailing of this story, it's fascinating. He's like, we went into to Israel, it was easy. We took Judah, that was easy. Then we went up to Jerusalem and we completely surrounded Jerusalem. We did it, we could do that. And then we decided to go home for no apparent reason. It honestly reads like that. You're like, what? Why? Why didn't you take Jerusalem? He's ah. We had other things come up. There was a TV show we wanted to watch. We all got home, right? It's very odd. 
that this retelling, even by Sennacherib, sounds like there's something strange happened that night. The way that the scriptures tell that story is the Spirit of God moved among that army, destroying enough of that army that they felt they could not possibly win the next day when they tried to siege Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, in his trusting of God, was seen as the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be known as Prince of Peace. And 2 Samuel 7 had come to fruition, everybody thought, in this one king of Israel. Only Isaiah 39 points us in a different direction. Isaiah 39 is that passage just before that weird 150-year block between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40. But in that time, there is, there is the Israelites were in their own land, and Isaiah 40, they're often in exile. So what happens in that time? Well, it hints at it in Isaiah 39, that Hezekiah allows the Babylonian envoys into the treasure house of Israel. That they, he's like, yeah, come on in, take a look at things, take a look around, touch whatever you feel like, take whatever you want. In other words, he wasn't trusting in God anymore. He was trusting in the Babylonians. They're a big, powerful beast of an of a, of a empire, and they will crush us if we don't allow them into our treasure house. So Hezekiah let them in. What did that lead to directly to the exile and all of the other things that follow? In other words, Hezekiah, who was once built up to be the Messiah, the Savior, crashes in the end. And so what happens after Isaiah 39 is a bubbling under the surface in Israel that comes to fruition again through the prophets that Hezekiah wasn't the one. Even though Isaiah 9 pointed in his direction, it didn't truly come to fruition. And then we read in Isaiah 55 where it says, come all who are thirsty, come who all want the waters, and come who need something to drink, come who, who need something to eat. I will fulfill my covenant with David. My sure and certain covenant with David. The same thing we read in Isaiah 61 in the last couple of weeks. The idea that the covenant with David would be fulfilled. So Israel began to anticipate once afresh that this covenant with David would come to fruition. What is at the center of the covenant of David? The center at the covenant of David is this, that the king of Israel would be a king who gave up complete control so that he would have trust in God. Would give up complete control. You noticed in the Sennacherib story that that Hezekiah gave up control. He didn't go and chase down the army of the Israelites and say, go kill as many of those as you can. He gave up complete control and said, I will trust in the Lord. And so that the one who comes in the, the, the name of David, the one who is the Son of God, will be one who completely trusts God, who gives up complete control over their entire life, and complete control over your entire life, the way that God uses that word is love. Love is to give up control, isn't it? 
We often think of, of, of love as, as, as a great feeling within, as a great way of, of, of sensing what the other person means to us. But love is the giving up of control, that I no longer control the other, that I no longer control your response. I invite you to participate with me, but I don't control you. It is the opposite of the way empires work. Empires work by controlling every little aspect. They control every little thing. They have, they have groups and meetings and stuff, and they figure it all out in advance. And they all figure it. And then trust and giving up control and love looks like whatever that other needs, I will do. Whatever the other needs, I will do. I will give up control of even my own life. Does this start to sound a little bit like Jesus? Because when Jesus was born, it wasn't long before the Israelites who followed this Jesus pull out Isaiah 9 and say, this is now coming to fruition. This passage we had thought of for so many years was Hezekiah and he let us down. This is coming to fruition. This is the one in the line of David. This is the true Son of God. Son of God not meaning second person in the Trinity, but Son of God meaning the Messiah. The one who he said, I will be a father to him and he will be my son. That Son of God. And the New Testament was very quick to name Jesus the Son of God. And very quick to say about Jesus that he was the one coming to not just come as the conquering king, but the one who is the trusting king. The one who is the loving king. Bringing a different type of kingdom to bear upon the world. And because he lived it right to the end. That's the importance of the cross, is that when he was, was living out his life, he was trusting God with the lepers, with the women, with all of the ways that he interacted with people. He was trusting God and loving the other, trusting God and loving the other. And finally, when the last piece that comes to play is our own life, that's where Jesus gets the fullness of that, do I trust God and love the other even to the end? That's Gethsemane. Take this cup away from me, Jesus says. I don't want this. I don't want to trust you right now. I don't want to love others right now because that means I lose this. And then he kept praying and the spirit of the living God comes upon him until he's weeping his own blood. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. Giving his full self. Giving his full trust giving up all control for love. That's the way justice and righteousness will come to bear on the whole planet. And we, my brothers and sisters, are called to follow that king. That's what Christmas is all about. It's an invitation now for you to come and follow that way of kingship, that way of giving up control, that way of love. We have followed our God at times by giving up control a little bit of here and there. And what I sense happens in our life, the same thing that happens to Jesus in his life, is that there, he keeps pushing and keeps pushing on us. Can you give up more control? Can you trust me more? Right to the end. That's the call to take up our cross.
to be the people of God who give up full trust, full control every day of our lives. That's the church. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, this powerful passage of the way that you want this world to be, a world in which love reigns and that we give up control so that justice and righteousness may reign over this world, that things will be set right, that peace, shalom, would reign. And we pray that that would happen in us that you would come and abide in each one of us, that we would give up control of who we are. We would give up control of what we want to do in order that we may do what you want us to do. This is not fun. It's much easier. I have always thought it's much easier to remain in control, but it's also easier to not love for the same reason, to keep people at a distance, to remain closed and not vulnerable. It's the same thing. Help us, therefore, to learn to love to give of ourselves, to release, to trust, and then to see your great big dream rule over this planet. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.